Hello, my friends, and welcome to a Backtracker History podcast exclusive. Join me as I meander through the archives to find out more about a particular story that really caught my eye, particularly as it refers to documents that can be used by people like me who are interested in stories and people of the past. It'll also give you an insight into a major historical event. So let's get started. Mrs. Nan Evans sat in her little study with its picture-lined walls. She was holding a big brown family book on her lap. She said, I don't really know how valuable these papers are. Some of the letters are probably too personal to be of any historical value to the state, but some are generally interesting. She was talking about a bundle of around 300 letters written by her grandfather, Bloomington's Civil War soldier, Brigadier General William W. Orme, to his wife in Bloomington, his law partner, Leonard Sweat, and to Judge David Davis. Mrs. Evans presented the letters to the Illinois State Historical Society on April 15th, 1948. Brigadier General William Ward Orme was born in Washington, D.C. in 1832, and he moved to Bloomington, Illinois, in McLean County, prior to 1860, where he practiced law in the law firm of Sweat and Orme. His partner was Leonard Sweat, and it was while practicing law that he caught the attention of Abraham Lincoln, who called Orme the most promising lawyer in Illinois. He was a delegate to the Illinois State Constitutional Convention in 1860. He was a friend of Supreme Court Justice David Davis. And when Abraham Lincoln appointed Davis to the Supreme Court, Davis wrote to his friend Orme about the news. Word of the Week And this week, it is my honour to bring you the word bivouac, which is a temporary soldier encampment in which soldiers are provided no shelter other than what they can assemble quickly, such as branches. Therefore, they're basically living in the open. letters which cover a period of 1862 and 1863 give an insight into what life was like during those turbulent times and when they were handed over were reminiscent of letters from soldiers of the then very recent World War II. Most of the letters were written in camps and a few on the actual battlefield. Some were written on river transports on the Mississippi as the 94th Illinois Volunteers moved down the river 
on Southern Campaigns. Historians prized these particular letters not just for their insight into life then, but also because of Orm's often caustic comments about other generals and the course of the war. Orm was appointed colonel when the 94th Illinois Volunteers Infantry, better known as the McLean County Regiments, were formed. He led a brigade under Francis J. Heron at the Battle of Prairie Grove and, for his performance there, was promoted to Brigadier General, post-dated to the 29th of November, 1862. Heron's division was transferred to the Army of the Tennessee and Orm continued in command of his brigade during the Siege of Vicksburg. Upon the Confederate surrender, Orm's brigade led the Union Army into the fallen city. In one letter, dated the 20th of October, 1862, Orm writes... Judge Davis is strongly of the opinion that if this war is not closed by spring, the civilized world will interfere and stop it. It cannot be closed by spring, by June or July. It might be fought out if we had some different men in command. McClellan in Virginia and Buell in Kentucky have ruined the country in my opinion. In another letter, dated the 28th of November, 1862, William went on to say, We had a Thanksgiving dinner in the afternoon. The bill of fare was cove oyster soup with crackers, pickles, salt and pepper, dried applesauce, stewed squirrels with dried applesauce, roasted turkey without stuffing, but with dried applesauce, hot yellow biscuit, soda crackers, butter and molasses, with dried apple pie, fresh apple pie, stewed dried apples, coffee and tea, no milk. <laughs> Word on the street. This is a rather unusual word on the street as it's based in Bloomington, Indiana. And I'll be telling you about a street that has a lot of history, even though it didn't exist until the 1st of February this year. In late January this year, city crews began installing street signs donating the new Eagleson Avenue. Eagleson Avenue officially became the new name for Jordan Avenue from Davis Street to 17th Street on the 1st of February this year. It was previously named after David Starr Jordan, Indiana University's seventh president. The street's name came under scrutiny in recent years due to Jordan's support of eugenics, selective breeding of humans based on the idea that some people have superior genes. The new street name was recommended by a specially convened task force. It honours the Eagleson family, a prominent African-American family in Bloomington for four generations, whose members have made a significant contribution to the city, university, state and nation, starting with Halson Vashon Eagleson, born into slavery in 1851 and who came to Bloomington in the 1880s. He would become a prominent barber with a large family that would make its mark on Bloomington and Indiana University. 
This remarkable businessman helped found both the Bethel AME Church in Bloomington and an orphanage in Unionville. He raised six children with two wives, and many of the children and their descendants would attend Indiana University at a time when it was not easy for black Americans to pursue higher education. A strong advocate for civil rights, Halson sued and won two court cases involving the kidnapping of his son, also named Halson, and discrimination by the Nuthouse Hotel. Each generation after had many high achievers who continued Halson's ethos of making the world a better place. The background behind this is a joint city at Bloomington Indiana University Task Force convened by Major John Hamilton recommended the new name in July 2021 and the Bloomington Plan Commission adopted it on September 13th, 2021. The task force based its selections on the criteria that the streets be named in honour of people who were longtime residents of Monroe County made significant contributions to the community and had not already received significant city and university honours and awards. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. But personally, I'm very impressed by authorities' take on recognising significant figures from the past and bringing them back into the social consciousness. I know it's a bit late, but... Congratulations and well done to all those who were involved. And now we return back to our main story, the letters of Brigadier General William W. Orme. Here's one where he talks more about the front line, and it's a letter from the 9th of December... 1862, written near Fayetteville. Cannonball or shell passed so close to my side as to knock my hat off and throw me from my saddle. The boys thought I was struck. The ball passed on and cut in two a large tree standing almost behind me. I rode over to the ground and viewed the results of the fight rebels and union men laid together promiscuously. Rebels were all dressed in butternut-colored clothes. Many had only ears of corn in their haversacks. The woods were full of hogs, and during the night they had many of the terribly manged bodies. Here's another small bit from a letter written in New Orleans on August the 18th, 1863. Prices are very high, though I paid 50 cents for six apples. Butter is 30 to 45 cents per pound. General Orme was one of the youngest generals in the Civil War. It was during his time in Mississippi that Orme contracted tuberculosis. His brigade was transferred to the Department of the Gulf, but he was soon forced to relinquish his command due to failing health. He was appointed commander of the Camp Douglas prison, but even that became difficult. In the end, he retired from the military in 1864 to become supervising agent for the United States Treasury. Orm finally succumbed to his illness and died on the 13th of September, 1866, at his home in Illinois. 
He was only 34. Meanwhile, back in her little study, pushing her chair back from the desk, grey-haired Mrs Evans pointed to the framed pictures and documents lining the walls. She said, You can see, some of them are very valuable. My mother, for instance, used to put that Lincoln note in the safety deposit box when she was to be away from home a while. The Lincoln note she's referring to was an original frayed little card on which Lincoln had scribbled a note about her grandfather. General Halleck, please see the bearer, Mr. Sweat will tell you truth only about William W. Orme, whom I also know to be one of the most active, competent, and best men in the world. A. Lincoln. This card was sent to Mrs. Evans' mother by Mr. Sweat and was what we would now know as a reference used when Orme was looking for a promotion. Mrs. Evans was also descended from two other men famous in Bloomington and Civil War history. Her grandfather on her maternal side was Colonel R.P. Morgan, who was the first superintendent of Chicago and Alton Railroad. He too knew Lincoln well and received a note which read, Dear Sir, says Tom to John, here's your rotten wheelbarrow. I've broke it a using on it. I wish you could mend it, in case I shall want to borrow it this afternoon. Acting on this as a precedent, I say, here's your old chalked hat. I wish you would take it and send me a new one, in case I shall want to use it the 1st of March. Yours truly, Abraham Lincoln. The chalked hat was the common term in those days for a railroad pass. Lincoln was writing to Colonel Morgan for a renewal. Unfortunately, the original was stolen from her father's office many years before, but turned up in a magazine article. Her great-grandfather was Lieutenant Colonel William McCullough, more famous due to the letter Lincoln wrote to his daughter, Fanny, who was mourning her father's death. Now, William McCullough was quite fascinating in his own right, because in 1840, he lost his right arm due to an unfortunate accident. His arm was torn off by a threshing machine, a piece of farm machinery used for separating the grain from the wheat stalk. His arm needed to be amputated, so he asked his good friend Osborne Bernard to hold his arm in place while the doctor amputated it. At this time, they did not have anaesthetics to numb the pain, so during the operation, William sat back and quietly smoked a cigar. As the story goes, William was very calm during the entire operation, but Bernard trembled a little while holding his arm. This story is thought to be very truthful, as Bernard told this one himself. In the autumn of 1840, William was elected sheriff to McLean County. He would hold this position for three consecutive terms before he went to war. But the final word has to go to Mrs Evans, who said, I don't think people are much interested in history and knowing all these things about the family anymore. Do you? I gave the letter to the Historical Society, where they can be preserved for anybody who is interested. I have never even read all of them myself. Now you can find some other William Orme papers, donated by his daughter, Lucy Orme Morgan, at the Illinois History and Lincoln Collections. 
you'll find a link in the show notes. They also have a draft of a speech for the 1860 Abraham Lincoln presidential campaign, which was probably written by Orm. Once upon a time. Boring. It was the best of times. It was the worst. You got that right. What's your problem? We want new stories. Hi, it's Frankie. And Garrett. And we host The Ever-Trending Story, a weekly podcast where we bring to life a fictional story created by our own minds and some of the hottest, craziest trends from the internet. Find us wherever you download podcasts and be sure to join the fun on social media at EverTrendingPod. In the news today, historical documents have been discovered describing a king from centuries ago who was just 12 inches tall. Apparently, he was a terrible king, but made a great ruler. Back in the day facts. Now for this podcast special, I decided to do the facts about the Civil War in America. And the first one says it was the deadliest war in American history. There were around 210,000 soldiers killed in action and 625,000 total dead. 66% of the deaths in the war were due to disease. And in the first few battles, each side did not have regular uniforms. This made it tough to figure out who was who. Later, the Union would wear dark blue uniforms and the Confederates, grey coats and trousers. The Battle of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania was the largest battle ever fought in North America. The fighting lasted three days and ended in a Union victory. At the dedication of the Gettysburg Cemetery, President Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address, one of the most important speeches in American history. But this famous address was only 269 words long. Fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation, or any nation so conceived and so dedicated, can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense we cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they have thus far so nobly carried on. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve 
that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that this government, of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And as for a female hero of the American Civil War, Clara Barton was a famous nurse to the Union troops. She was called the Angel of the Battlefields and founded the American Red Cross. Since nursing education was not then very formalised and she did not attend nursing school, she provided self-taught nursing care. Barton is noteworthy for doing humanitarian work and civil rights advocacy at a time before women had the right to vote. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1973. Well, my friends, that's the end of today's podcast special. I really do hope you found it as fascinating as I did researching it. Now, I really, really do have to say a huge thank you to Mike Moore and Dan Fernicase for providing the excellent voices to today's show. And if you like the sound of Mike's voice, you can find him on the WFOD podcast. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>